Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malt House Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host today. And with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, howdy, howdy. I'm going to throw a disclaimer out. Uh, Jennifer and Nick, if you're trying to play this podcast while we are in your presence, stop it <laughs> and do it once we're gone. <laughs> I'm nervous already. I'm very nervous. But yes, this is episode 151 of the Malt House Games podcast. Sometimes I forget people listen to this podcast. I appreciate everyone who listens to it. But for me, this is just, oh, this is something fun that Delton and I do every other week. And then whenever somebody mentions hearing something on the podcast, I'm like, what? How'd you get access to that? It's not like we put it on social media, Spotify, YouTube, all that jazz. You mean the places we put it? Yeah. Do you have that feeling too? Like whenever you find out someone's listened to the podcast, you're like, wait, someone listens? I do still get that feeling. Uh, which I think is appropriate because we're still small, but that's okay. I'm always small. Yes, but we are a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, dice games, things of that sort. Uh, Today is Thursday. This is officially 1233. I'm on my lunch break working from home today. It is p.m. It is a lunch break. Yes. It is not a.m. because, no. I mean, we're probably on the right track to still be up at 1230 a.m. even though we have to leave the house at 4 a.m. Yes, we are recording this podcast now on my lunch break. So that way, whenever I get off the clock at 5, I can start editing as well as other things. Get the edit done. This podcast out for you good people because we are leaving tomorrow morning to head up to Oregon and go to Gen Con with Jennifer and Nick. All-nighter, all-nighter, all-nighter. Too excited to sleep. I'm not doing an all-nighter. Can't be one more sleep till friends if you don't sleep. Ayo. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give a shout-out to our Patreon patrons, which includes Jennifer, of course, but is also Alan and Cliff. Thank you all for supporting at the level in which you get shouted out on the podcast. It is very much appreciated. If you want to be like them, you can go to patreon.com slash malthousegames. I cannot wait to give Jennifer her birthday presents. Hopefully, hopefully she likes them. I th- I hope so. I'm really excited to see her tomorrow, give her presents, and just have a grand old week with her and Nick and all of our friends. It's going to be a good time. We're very excited for it. Uh, we're just behind schedule this week. I, as all week, always. Yeah, as always. All week, I have felt like it's the next day. So Tuesday, I kept feeling like it was Wednesday. Yesterday, I felt like it was today. Today, I feel like it's Friday. Nope, tomorrow's Friday. So everything is just like wonky and off. I'm just like a week behind schedule and everything right now. So we're just going to make it to Oregon. That's that's the main thing. If things are undone, well, that's how it's going to be because I am going to be MIA for about eight days. We at least have our penny watcher lined up now. Thank you so much, neighbor Colby. And uh, so he's going to be checking in on Penny and feeding her and doing all that and watching the house for us. We have Margie going to mom's house. So the two most important things, which are the living creatures that live here with us, they're taken care of. They are. Well, what have we been up to the last two weeks, Delty Poo? We've played some games. We've watched some movies. Uh, we've played with instruments. And that's really been about it, I feel like. I also got my Skywarn certification, so now I can report weather directly to the National Weather Service office. That's the thing to do in Oklahoma. Absolutely. And starting in two weeks, I get to take my ham radio class so I can get uh, my ham radio operator's license, and I am so excited. That way I can radio in directly to the National Weather Service and not have to use the uh, toll-free number like all y'all peasants. It sounds interesting, but I also, for me, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) And there we are. This is my jam. That is her jam. But we are ready to head to Oregon and relax and play games and hike and eat 
and go outside where it's 58 degrees in the morning Instead rather of the than 105 that's going to be Friday. Which this week's been nice. We've been getting lucky with 70s in the mornings, which is weird for August. But as of tomorrow, the low is going to be 92 and the high is going to be 105. Yeah, so glad to be getting out of here and which Oregon had a heat wave Tuesday, Wednesday up to like 103. However, that's going to be down. I think the high for the weekend is in the upper 80s, so I can do that. So you're saying we got there just in time? We're going to get there just in time. Well, aside from that, we should get to the game for the episode. But first, uh, we're only having one drink this episode. And being that it is my lunch break, I'm not going to have alcohol because uh, if I even if I was, I wouldn't be announcing it in, on a public <laughs> platform. So there you go. But today, Haley, we have had before on the podcast the boba, uh, like instant boba that Aldi carries in their frozen section sometimes. Haley picked up a new flavor. Normally we get the brown sugar, which is my favorite. Uh, or at least I really like it. And Haley picked up strawberry. That's just weird. This one likes to separate strangely unless you mix it plenty. It's but very it's, fruity and juicy. It's okay. It's I'm not a big fan of strawberry drinks. I've never liked strawberry milkshakes or strawberry ice cream very well. So this isn't my jam. It's still good, but it's, it's not definitely jam. up it's, Haley's It's not strawberry alley. jam. It's strawberry boba. I hate you. <laughs> I like this one because it tastes like the terrible old Hershey's strawberry syrup that your mom would buy. And you put it in your milk as a kid. We never bought that because I didn't. And I also wasn't a big chocolate milk fan as a kid or as an adult, really. A blasphemer. It's fine. I just, I liked plain milk. <laughs> We've been over this. I was weird. <laughs> you also put ice in your milk. I did that for a long time, yeah. But I like this because one, it tastes like the, you no know, crummy old Hershey's syrup. So that's nostalgic. But also this boba tastes like strawberries. Like the other boba just tastes like your regular tapioca. This one actually just tastes like a strawberry jelly. And it's delicious. It really does, but it's very good. Um, like I said, strawberry's not my favorite, but it's still good. The brown sugar's mine. Highly recommend if you have an Aldi near you, try to find them. They're not too expensive. I want to say, what is $4 it? $4 for four. $4 for four. It's a cup of almond milk with one packet of the boba stuff. And it's really tasty and easy to make. So yeah, recommend. But now with that out of the way, let's get to the game of the episode. Oh, here's the door. Uh, uh. It's straight ahead. It's it's a game. So the game for today is one of Brian's games that we borrowed for the podcast. Uh, it is, and depending on who you are, you're going to pronounce it differently. It is Res Arcana. I always pronounce it Re Arcana because of Republica, and maybe it needs to be Res anyway. Looks like it's kind of depending on who you ask. But Res Arcana uh, is a game designed by Tom Lehman, and you would re recognize his name as the designer of Race for the Galaxy, Roll for the Galaxy, this game, uh, there's a couple, where are the other ones that I really know? Dice Realms, Roll Through the Ages, he's a designer on, as well as just a whole bunch of other games, but his most popular by far is Race for the Galaxy. The game is published by Sandcastle Games. The art is by Julian Delville. The graphic design is Cyril Daujin, and the production is Ted Mariotti. So, Res Arcana is a, basically, it's a quintessential, I'm going to take these cubes and make them a different color and then spin them. That's what this game is. It is that, I, I don't want to say boiled down to its most basic, but it's boiled down to as basic as you can get while still having some flavor and a little variability within there. So the way the game's going to work is you're going to get a mage. You're going to get to pick from two. You're going to get one mage out of two random given to you. It's essentially going to be someone who gives you a starting ability or a starting resource. And then you're going to get, depending on if you play the beginner level, you're going to get a set number of eight cards. 
Or if you're playing more advanced, you can shuffle everything and deal out randomly. But if you want to be more fairly advanced, then you can do a draft of your eight card deck. You're going to draw three into your hand and you're going to start the game with one of each resource. Uh, there are five different resources in the game. It's basically red, green, blue, black, and gold, which all have weird names. Well, I guess not all of them. Uh, green is life, makes sense. Black is death, makes sense. Gold is gold, makes sense. But blue is calm, and red is Ellen or Elon or Elon or Elon. Elon. However you say it. And it, it, it's essentially fire. So I don't know why the names are the way that they are, but they are. We just call them by the color. But then you're going to start the game. Basically, all the cards in your hand are going to be something you play in front of you. They are artifacts. Those cards can do things such as at the beginning of a round when everyone takes in their generated resources for each round, you'll sometimes get, hey, this one gives me a red and this one gives me two blue. Awesome. You now get some more resources. They also have abilities that can either be spend one red to get a blue or it could be like spin two black and tap this card to get a gold on the card, which is a whole thing in this game. And the cards do all different versions of those things. They do cost to play in front of you. Uh, some cards have points on them. The goal of the game is the first person to 10 points. Uh, the most interesting thing about exchanging the resources uh, to me in this game that I enjoy is putting resources on the cards. There are specific abilities. Like I had one of the special locations, places of power out on the board. There's like however many, five of them to start or at the beginning of the game, and you can buy one to put in front of you, and it's yours, and it gives you special abilities and stuff. Well, one of the abilities on one of mine was if I spent, it was like three black and three red, I can put two gold on that tile, and every gold on that tile is worth a point, which means it takes me very a very short amount of time if I can get the resources to amass 10 points by the end of my turn. And essentially the game's going to work where you start around, everybody takes an, an, an action, that sounds weird, a single action, and then it goes to the next person to take a single action. If you're the first to pass, you get the first player token, which is also a point, as well as do a couple other things, and then everyone else continues to play until everyone has passed. So if you hit 10 points and you pass first, everyone else can try to catch up. But if they pass before you and then you hit 10 points, that's the game right there. And that's really the way the game's going to work. There's some other cards you, you can buy. Uh, there are multiple big of those places of power you can buy. There's some special powers that you're going to get at the beginning. And every time you pass, you have to trade yours in for a different one. And so that can give you a special thing uh, every turn that you can use differently, which is kind of neat. And there's just a bunch of cards. And that's, yeah, that's how the game's going to play. I think something I enjoy about it is if you do random shuffled decks or drafting even, you're kind of stuck with this random small deck of eight cards and you sort of just have to make it work. It's like, how can I best utilize these? Plus, if I buy, you know, a monument or if I buy one of these big uh, places of power, how can I utilize the cards that I was dealt to then be able to maximize my efficiency for gaining points? And I enjoy that it gives you a simple... Not as simple. It gives you a small amount of items, but it makes you figure out how they work best together. And I just think that's kind of a fun little uh, little thing that happens in the game. And so you called this game the simplest form of something the other night. What did you call it? I said it was the simplest form of like uh, taking a red and making it a blue. I don't yes. know what the term I used was. I don't either, but Delton said it was the simplest form of that. And I agree. And I do have to disclose I did lose terribly. Ha ha. 
I also think that dealing random cards, I had a much stronger deck, which is why I think drafting would have been the way to go or doing just the preset, one of the four preset decks. That way you had something a little more cohesive. And so whether or not I lost or whether or not I got a bad hand or whether or not I got a good hand, so on and so forth, this game was not necessarily one I enjoyed. I I didn't really get engaged in this one. How long did it take us to play Delta? Like 45 minutes? It was maybe 45 minutes. And so I just feel like I was biding my time, waiting for my turn so I can do something insignificant. Okay, I'm going to make resources. Okay, I'm going to trade for this color. 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 Aha, I have all the colors. I'm going to get this card. Well, now this card makes this. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get that. Hey, I can buy this other card. And so it's a really simple concept of a game. I know I'm looking at Board Game Geek right now, and it says weight 2.63, which really surprises me. I didn't really think it was that weighty, even though, yes, I did lose. Well, the I would never really consider the Board Game Geek weighting ratings because there's no scale. Yeah. It's strictly based on what the players think. So if someone who plays nothing but Vital Asserta games weights it, they're going to put it at like a one. And if somebody who only plays Ticket to Ride weights it, they're going to put it at like a three and a half, four. And so Fair. those don't actually have any kind of balancing standard the way that the actual rankings and, you know, one, one to 10 scale does, even though that's also skewed. But anyway, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. But yeah. So for me, I would probably weight this as like a, I don't know, maybe 1.5 or something like that. It's not. It's not super simple, but it also isn't terribly difficult either. And again, I lost, but I just did not get into it. It was not an engaging game for me. I, like I said, it felt like I was, you know, collecting resources in all of my turns and just kind of waiting for turns to pass so I could have enough resources to buy what I needed. And so for me, that just wasn't engaging. Now, again, I need to play it again, probably with some better cards. Maybe Delton and I should have switched hands, but I, I just didn't really enjoy it. Not that I wouldn't play it again. But this wasn't my favorite. And that's completely understandable. I think that part of the appeal of this game to me, and this is why I wanted you to play it and why I told Brian, like, hey, bring that. I'd like to play. And he just said, well, here, keep it. And I was like, well, this could be a good podcast game uh, because I know we afterward we had differing opinions, especially. But part of the reason that I like it so much is because the, the actions on your turn, they are that simple. There's nothing else to be doing. You're not buying all this stuff so you could do you know whatever there's no ingrained story there's no bigger picture it's just simply try to be efficient with these small little actions and then that's the game and I liked the simplicity of it I liked that it was not trying to be something it's not which I thought was good because there's a lot of bigger games that do effectively the same thing but they add so much extra stuff trying to make it feel bigger you finish the game and you get done and you realize your favorite part wasn't all the extra stuff. It was just the, I'm going to take one black and turn it into a blue and a red and then take my blue and a red and put them on this card to do this and make a gold. And then next turn, I can take that gold with my other gold and I can buy this big card and I get a lot of points in this special action. That's the fun of a lot of games. And this is only that part. So that's what I liked about it. And I could understand also very much disagreeing with that, but I just enjoyed it was simple. Um, the iconography is definitely a bit odd at first, but after what, one, two rounds, you were like, I got all of these. It's tap a card, untap a card, gain a resource, gain this or that. It's all pretty self-explanatory. And so you're talking about, you know, games where you can trade resources and we're going to be comparing, uh, Ray's Arcana to, what was it again? 
I just lost it. Architects of the West Kingdom. Architects of the West Kingdom. And the topic today was for different reasons. But, you know, you said, like, there's other games that have that trading aspect, but more. And I think that's why I liked uh, Architects better, because there was more than just that trading. It wasn't just, like, getting resources waiting for my turn. Now, there were a couple of turns like that, where I just had to collect my people or get resources, get resources. But it wasn't the entire game. And so this was 45 minutes of me just trading resources. And like you said, it was very simple. Uh, and that's what you liked about it. But I think for me, that's what I didn't like about it. Would you like it more had we played faster and finished it in under 30? I don't know, because it's still just doing the same <laughs> thing over and over again. I think for sure. After about the, I don't know, fifth or sixth turn, I think I just kind of got bored. And that makes sense. But also, you're the type of person who's like, I've planned six turns in a head. And this game doesn't allow you to plan past one round. Well, really. you, you can, but it's just like, okay, in six rounds, we're going to have six blue. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. It's, it's very simplified. So basically for you, this doesn't have enough to keep you interested. Yes, and again, I need to give it another chance. Like Delton said, I need mm -hmm. better cards. But I didn't, I didn't know I was losing until probably like the, I don't know, last three or four rounds. Because then Delton started getting like 40 points at the same time. I was like, oh, no, I am not losing. Yeah. I was getting a lot of points at once. I am losing. <laughs> uh, now, Brian does have two expansions for it, so we could always try one of the expansions to see what it adds. And we, we can definitely do that if you wanted to before we give it back to him. But it, it's kind of funny that it's one that doesn't have enough for you, but it also has just enough for me. It's like two different ways of viewing the way the game is presented and also different ways because my brain can work very easily as... I want to buy that card. I need a blue. What do I got to do for a blue? I don't know. I don't have anything. Let's spend resources anyway. It's like easy to just throw away an entire round without much penalty, but also it's very easy to keep track on your round and just do this one little thing. And then the turn comes back to you like that, like super fast. So then you can take your one little thing. And I enjoy that the turn times uh, in general are usually pretty fast. But I mean, that's it. It's not a very complicated game. Uh, if it sounds interesting to you, I say check it out. You can usually find it at a pretty decent price. Um, it's just a deck of cards and some resource tokens, nothing too fancy, but it plays well at two. Uh, I have played it at three. I think two's my favorite because the turns just go, you know, Yumi, 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 Yumi over and over again. Uh, and it's just, I don't know, something about it that I liked. And there's something else about it that I didn't like. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. So, Haley, what is the topic for today? The topic for today's episode is Representation of Women in Gaming 2.0. So I know that we had talked uh, earlier in the year about recycling some of our old topics. And this is one that we did, oh God, how many, how many years ago? Probably four or five years ago at this point. I'll, I'll take a look. One of our first topics we did was representation of women in gaming. And back then, what we really focused on were games such as Istanbul. So remember, Istanbul received a lot of flag because it has zero women in the game, unless you get one of the expansions. And so we kind of criticized that game because there weren't women represented. And I'm sure that they were, there were women selling in the marketplaces of Istanbul whenever that game was set. So it's not like you, you can use the, you know, historical argument, even though that argument usually doesn't hold water anyway when it comes to representation in board games. But we wanted to revisit this topic for this game in particular because if you look at the cover of the box, if you look at the cover, if you look at the rule book, 
technically there are more women than men. There are three women on, women on the front cover and there are only two men. But the reason why I wanted to revisit this representation thing is because though there are more women, they're all the conventionally attractive women. And so a big stuck point for me when it comes to representation of women is not only the number, but having some diversity. You know, you look at the men on this cover and you have a quirky dude with some big glasses holding a blue cauldron. You have a very muscular old man with a gold earring like dope. But you look at the women and it's three white, conventionally attractive, quote unquote, women who are skinny and showing a lot of skin, showing a lot of cleavage. Even the woman who's supposedly in the quote-unquote Greek style of costume, is very white, is very thin. And that, to me, doesn't say representation as much as I think some uh, illustrators or companies might think it does. But Haley, there's more women on the cover than men. When is it ever going to be enough? Whenever you get to the level of architects. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Architects or practically uh, dead of winter? Dead of winter architects because... If you, I know, I know that we compared and contrasted Razor Arcana with uh, Architects earlier in this episode when I talked about, you know, I like the complexity of that one better. But with this one, too, if you look at Razor Arcana versus Architects, Architects has an array of women. Yes, it has the busty broad with her tits hanging out. But you know what? She's like probably 45 years old with gray hair and she's a merchant. Like, of course, you're going to dress with your tits out to get some people to come in. But you also have women who are wearing clothes for utility. You have them uh, performing as blacksmiths with their hair back. You have them with short hair, long hair, old, young, you know, all different sizes. Um, I don't think there's much representation when it comes to, you know, different uh, skin tones or anything like that. But it's also built to be a medieval European style right country so that makes a little more like that's got a little more leeway right there for that but again like dead of winter there is such an array of folks with you know different stages of life different ages you know different uh ability different skills and so things like that are refreshing and so whether or not i like the game res arcana one of the things that really turned me off is that all the women just kind of fit this caricature of the thin ideal of the quote-unquote ideal women. And in that way, even though there's more representation, the women seem to be more for decoration rather than ability. And I think that's what separates architects from Res Arcana as well, is that in Res Arcana, you know, there are uh, characters that you can play as or, you know, people that you can hire, quote-unquote, but they seem like actual characters or people or citizens in the city. They don't just seem like decor. That makes sense. And looking at the cards now, it does look like they have they're definitely European skin tones, but there is a varying amount of those as well as like eye shape and what seems to be a, 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 a attempt to depict hair textures and styles. So there is very like, you know, European diversity, diversity within it. I am going to point that out before somebody says, nah, they're not all just uh, Nordic people, six foot eight and blonde. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so like with Res Arcana, what, what bothers me about representation like this is that Women aren't allowed to be, I mean, all women are beautiful, but women aren't allowed to not be pretty. Women aren't allowed to be quirky or goofy or to be squirrely in some ways. Like you look at the cover and the guy who looks pretty squirrely with the big glasses and the hood and he's holding the, you know, cauldron of blue flame. Like he looks like a quirky dude, but none of the women are like that. No, you've, you've got the very Athena, you know, kind of Greekish. 
styled, huh? White Athena. Yes. No, no olive skin tone there. Uh, Athena with the owl. You have the druid lady who, of course, lives in a forest, therefore does not believe that your stomach and upper chest should be protected by any kind of armor if you're fighting. And then you have the, like, necromancer-looking lady whose boobs are being pushed up to her chin, basically, by whatever that top is. It, that's very, like, burlesque <laughs> starting. Uh, it's It's one of those things where it's something that I wasn't necessarily super tuned into, uh, before we got together, I knew that this kind of stuff was around because I always thought, like, this isn't as offensive as, like, the chainmail bikini, right? That's right, the, yeah. The, this is a step past that for sure. We're fine. But chainmail bikini style, it's like, it never made sense to me because if this person is fighting in anything, why are all the men depicted in suits of armor and then the chainmail bikini lady? You wouldn't wear that. Like, there are, you know, historical depictions of women that were in combat. They wore full armor. There's a point, a reason to having full armor. It's not stupid. That's why you live. Shield maidens. Yeah, I mean, all over different parts. And it's just funny because they, it's still such a thing in fantasy. Fantasy still holds on to this uh, element of, you know, women must fantasy wear. Fantasy women. I mean, exactly. It's fantasy women, right? The men are all these either strong men or these guys who can do sciency shit or some guy who rides a dragon and it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I want to be, I want to be like that guy. But then they essentially want every guy to be someone that you, that a man would want to be and every woman to be a woman that the man would want to be with. And that's what it feels like is still lingering around a lot in fantasy artwork. And it's just kind of tiresome at a point. Like it's the problem for me is it's easy to overlook it because it's so prevalent and has been for so long that I can look at it and be like, eh, fantasy. But the amount of games including this one, until Brian bought it, that I have not even given a shot because I'm like, oh, I don't like that artwork. It's just like every other fantasy game. Like, even though his actual artwork is good, I'm like, the depictions are good. I like some of the art that he's done. It's just one of those things where it's like, why does this have to be the theme and depictions? Why do we have to just keep reiterating something that makes no sense? And, you know, to your point, too, when it comes to fantasy... You know, I think that this is the perfect example of it. When you look at the powers and abilities, you look at the guy in red. He's strong. He's a fighter. You look like the guy in green. Okay, he has, he knows potions. He's creating something. The other three, when it comes to, like, witches or, you know, folks who live in the, the forest, from this is my bias, but it seems like a lot of times what you see is that men have powers or abilities that they've earned, Women have powers or abilities that are bestowed upon them. You're born magic. Ah. You're born a witch. You know, there's not hard work that goes into getting those abilities. She's a druid, thank you. Is she a druid? She might be. Uh, I think so, actually. But that's just because if you see a lady in green with a staff and a wolf, it's a druid. That's, again, fantasy tropes that are tiresome at this right. point. But that makes complete sense, though. I, I see what you're saying is that it... Women are magical. Yeah, they're, they're always this otherworldly thing. Uh, which is really interesting. Like they, they can't all be Brienne of Tarth, right? Right. Like you, that's. I think that's part of the reason why uh, Brienne in Game of Thrones, as well as a lot of characters in Game of Thrones, everybody loved them. Why? They were realistic. Maybe not always. It's a game with dra or a show with dragons in it. I mean, come on. But still, like anything like that. But that's one of the things we always end up pointing to Dead of Winter's artwork. You have all body shapes, all ages. I can't say all races, but a lot of races depicted. You've got 
pretty people. You've got traditionally unpretty people. You've got all kinds of stuff to, in that game, but it feels like the real world. It does. And not that fantasy has to be the real world. Yes. But, you know, and, and again, this is just my bias whenever I say that, you know, the, the women appear to have things bestowed upon them and have to earn things. You know, if that's the woman I want to play, I'm probably not going to play your game. Yeah. And so if if you want to, you know, cater to those who like this art, that's just fine. That's within your right. But in making art like this, you might be inadvertently alienating the alienating. There you go. Uh, you might be inadvertently alienating people too. And so again, not everybody's going to like all styles. Not everyone's going to like all you know themes of games. I know I've said multiple times before. I'm not really a fantasy theme person, but more than just I like this theme or I don't like this theme. If I don't resonate with it, with it, or if I find it a, a almost, I mean, I don't want to say offensive because that seems like a very strong word, but I'm just turned off by it. I'm like ah. Yeah, this doesn't interest me. That's understandable because I do the same thing with classic fantasy artwork. Like if you put a couple books in front of me and said, these are all fantasy novels and one of them has chainmail bikinis and Conan the Barbarian vibes and the other two are almost anything else, I will definitely push aside the chainmail bikini because I don't care about that style. That just screams like 1980s now, right? And it's it's one of those things where like this is a game people, like it's not, there are worse examples. There are worse this examples. This isn't the best, but there are worse examples than this. But a lot of people easily overlook this, which is one of the reasons that it's so highly rated. It's very accessible. Aside from a little iconography, it takes you maybe a game at most to learn. It's an accessible game. It's an easy-to-play game. You can introduce it to younger people as well kind of game, I think. I say younger. I don't know, like 10 or something. But uh, I think that that's one of the reasons is that a lot of people in the board game community, which I feel like is also changing, basically just say, if I think it looks neat, like if the artwork's pretty, I'll play it. They don't really care. Some don't care about the artwork at all. They just care if the game functions and is fun to play. And so a lot of this stuff I feel goes, it goes overlooked a lot for whatever reason. Uh, I'm glad to see a lot of game companies are trying to push the correct direction. Uh, whenever you bring up Architects of the West Kingdom, um, the Miko who does the artwork for all of those Garp Hill games, uh, the North Sea trilogy, the West Kingdom trilogy. I want to say it's the Tigris trilogy. I can't think of what the new one is. It's got a much more like Fertile Crescent setting um, that looks really interesting. I don't remember what the, the series of games is going to be called, but he does such a good job with like age and everything representation within his game in that cultural perspective. I think he does a very good job of still making it feel fantasy or still making it feel like something not the real world, but also still making it feel very diverse and different and real. I feel like he finds a good line. I agree. And, you know, like you said earlier, like this game is not the worst. It's far from Tonto Quarry. True. But there's still, pro I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an example of progress is being made, but there's still more to go. And again, this yeah. game came out in like 2019. Is that right? And so it's been, it's four something. years old and there have been, you know, other games, more representative games have come out since then. But still, that's fairly recent. It is. And ho hopefully strides keep being made to, you know, at, at least try to make things not so stereotypical. And I think that's really, for me, what it comes down to is I liked the game, but the artwork is just still stereotypical when they could have done something so much cooler. They could have done literally anything uh, new and unique. And I understand if you want to reference things, but you can go further than 
making the person who's supposed to kind of be Athena that has an owl and sort of a, I don't even know what kind of, it's not an actual toga by the looks of it, but you know, it's got brooches and whatnot. Like you could still add in elements of, Hey, this is based off Athena and Greek mythology, but not make her just a stereotypical Athena. You could have a Druid that lives in the forest and is this cool fighter lady with a wolf. But I mean, it doesn't have to look like every other redheaded Druid in green clothing with a wolf next to her. Like you could have done so much, so much so easily just to make it interesting. See, I thought that she's going to be like a, a Wiccan of some sort because a Druid, you got to know a Druid's going to have dirt on him. Not in fantasy, Haley. <laughs> Not in fantasy. But yeah, so I mean, I think that that I, we've... We're, I'll step uh, off my soapbox now. I don't think it's a soapbox. I think we have discussed this in a good amount, a good amount of time and talked a lot about it. And like we said... If you want to keep appealing to more and more people, this stuff just needs to change further and further. Progress is being made, but there are better examples from years prior, and that's all over the gaming world, that show you can have success with a good game and still make the artwork something people actually could be interested in rather than doing something generic and stereotypical. Whether It's still good art. The artist is talented. It's the subject matter that could just be more interesting. Seconded. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So, the question for the episode today, so we can wrap this up, eat some lunch, and kind of go back to work for me, and you can get Margaret to my brother to go to my parents' house, is, what are you most looking forward to as we go to Gen Con in Portland tomorrow? I am really looking forward to the early morning Jasper walks with Nick and Jennifer. Every morning, either Nick or Jennifer or both go out and walk little Jasper. And because Portland's two hours behind, I'm usually awake like four hours before everyone else. Yeah. And so I'll get up, like make my coffee, listen for somebody like, okay, somebody's up. I get as excited as Jasper for these walks. I'm like, oh, my friends are up. I just love going for those walks. One, because I get to spend time with Jasper, who I love. I get to also see the city, but also it's time to just talk and catch up and enjoy the company of Nick or Jennifer. So I'm very much looking forward to those walks. Oh, for sure. It's going to be nice getting out and about and doing that. I think for me, I honestly think I'm just most looking forward to seeing friends. Like, I'm looking forward to hiking. I'm looking forward to food. I'm looking forward to walks. I'm looking forward to the stuff we're going to do and the games we're going to play. But in general, just like getting to see friends and hang out for a week and just chill and exist is going to be nice. Just spend time with those friends and none of us really have anything but to spend time together. And I just think that's going to be a great time, but I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to taking off tomorrow and heading that way and just having fun. And I'm excited, but for now we got about 15 minutes. So I got to be back at work. And then after work, I have to edit this and we have to pack our bags and I probably need to vacuum. We got some house chores to finish up. We got a lot to do uh, before we can try to go to sleep to get up at four so we can drive to the airport and be there nice and early. All-nighter, all-nighter. No, not all-nighter. But thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 151. Hopefully you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. It helps us make our way to new viewers, viewers, listeners, ears. uh, And hopefully you enjoyed the episode, and hopefully they will as well. If you have any kind of game you think we need to look at, a topic you want us to talk about, a question you want us to answer, 
feel free to send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. You can also find us on all social media at Malthouse Games. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. Uh, I think that covers everything, though. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.